Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategies Podcast. I'm Sarah Hill, Associate Editor. Today's program is brought to you by Yetter Manufacturing. I'd like to take a moment to thank Yetter Manufacturing for sponsoring today's episode. With a tradition of providing farmers solutions since 1930, Yetter Manufacturing Company is your answer for tools and equipment to face today's production agriculture demands. From many different designs of planter attachments for the different planting conditions you face, to several options of equipment for placing fertilizer and products to meet harvest time challenges, Yetter delivers the return on investment and tools to meet your equipment needs and maximize inputs. Find solutions to your challenges today at yetterco.com. That's Y-E-T-T-E-R-C-O.com. Today, I'd like to introduce Austin Carlson, a soil health technician with the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition. Austin will be talking about cover crop seeding. Welcome to the podcast, Austin. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. So to get us started, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, Austin. Yeah, I grew up in Southeast South Dakota on my family's crop and livestock farm. And I went on to uh, continue my education at South Dakota State University. And I met my wife there and I graduated in 2016. And then uh, fast forward, I attended the soil health school a couple years back with my dad. And we took away a lot of really good information and, and I enjoyed it so much. I actually quit my job and a couple months later, I applied for a position here at the Soil Health Coalition, and I was pretty blessed to uh, get the opportunity. So I've been working here for two years, and and um, my dad and my wife and I, we, we put these practices together uh, to work on our own farm, and we like the results that we find. And then uh, with my work with the coalition, I get to uh, work one-on-one with producers, and then we we host typically a lot of in-person events throughout the year. Of course, this year uh, we've had to take a little different approach, but um, but it's been a lot of fun uh, working with farmers and help them implement five soil health principles and and help them be profitable on their farms. Fantastic. So uh, let's go ahead and, and dive right in. When it comes to seeding cover crops, growers have a lot of choices of how to go about it. How would you counsel a grower to determine which cover crop seeding method would work best for their operation? So the first thing I like to think about uh, when coming up with a strategy for your cover crops is to establish some goals and some reasons of why you want to have the cover crop. And, And when you have a purpose behind it, then we can start to hone down on the details of how to plant it and when. So the first thing, uh, of course, cover crops have many benefits and, you know, maybe you're looking for weed suppression or nutrient cycling. Uh, Maybe you want to utilize excess moisture. Maybe you're looking for supplemental forage. So once we kind of have an idea of what we're looking for for a cover crop, then we can uh, think about how to seed it. So when there's pretty much Three common ways I see people seeding cover crops, and one would be uh, to drill the cover crop uh, directly into the ground. Uh, another one would be to aerial seed it with an airplane or like a spinner box spreader for similar to fertilizer spreading. And then the, the last common method I see used is to lightly incorporate the cover crop seed. They might have 
uh, broadcast spread it and then they incorporate it with a little light tillage. The best uh, success I see with starting a cover crop is to drill the seed and actually put the seed in the soil and get that good seed to soil contact. That way we're not drying out the soil and uh, we have enough moisture to get that seed germinated and, and on its way. When um, lightly incorporating it with a tillage implement, a lot of that soil moisture is lost through evaporation and the cover crop just doesn't um, germinate real well. And then even with just aerial broadcasting it, some of the bigger seeds won't uh, establish very well. Uh, usually I find better success with that with the smaller seeds. Okay. That kind of leads me to another question, which I'll get to in just a minute. You mentioned using, uh, you know, a spinner or maybe lightly incorporating with tillage, things like that. Um, some growers may not have the right equipment to use their preferred cover crop seeding method. What might be some options for growers um, who don't have the right equipment? How can they still make sure that they're using the right seeding method? So when, when you're new to uh, establishing cover crops and, and you made that first investment with the seed cost, I really like to see a good uh, successful beginning to that cover crop. And that all starts at seeding. So, you know, if the producer doesn't have the right equipment right away and it's still something they're experimenting with, I would really urge them to go find somebody who does have the right equipment just to ensure that they're maximizing uh, their investment and, and the cover crop will get a good establishment. So in South Dakota, a lot of the local conservation districts they actually have no-till drills available uh, to rent. And then they also offer a custom seeding service. And then even in my uh, local community, I've, I've found that the farmers who do have a no-till drill, they're often at, requested by other neighbors uh, to custom seed. So if, if you don't have the right equipment, uh, I would, I would probably recommend go find somebody who does, and then uh, maybe in the future, consider purchasing uh, something like that. Okay, that, that makes perfect sense. So kind of getting back to uh, that question about seed size and how that influences how well your, your cover crops establish. Um, if you're using equipment for seeding, what are some tips for growers to correctly calibrate that equipment for seeding different cover crop species? So a lot of the equipment manufacturers actually have a chart on the side of the machine uh, to help kind of get an estimate of the rate per acre based on different seeds. Some of them might actually go by uh, seed densities. Uh, so that might be an option to to um, determine the density of your seed and then kind of estimate from there. But the best way to uh, make sure that you're putting out just the amount of seed that you would like to, to seed is to actually calibrate the drill. And, and that can look pretty different for different machines um, just based on what technology is on it and things like that. Just a standard ground driven drill um, is a pretty simple 
process to calibrate it. And they're usually outlined in the manufacturer's operator manual for that piece of equipment. But pretty much what it is, is you work the math backwards and figure out to determine a percentage of an acre. Uh, For instance, when I'm calibrating the drill, I, I tried to collect how much seed I'm going to dispense in a 20th of an acre from just a couple of the seed meters. And then I just do the math pretty much to simulate what one acre would be. Basically, at the end of the day, um, whether you're calibrating or not, I would recommend to put a known weight amount of seed in there. Just measure out a specific amount of seed and then go seed it over a half an acre and then Mm -hmm. uh, determine if you're pretty close to your target rate. Okay. So now... We've talked about the equipment side of things and um, determining the right seeding method. What about finding the right timing to seed those cover crops? I mean, growers can choose to seed in June when uh, their cash crop is already established. They can choose to seed, uh, you know, late August after wheat harvest or in the fall after after the cash crop has been taken out of the field. How does a grower figure out, yeah, that's the right timing for for me? Yeah, that's a good question. And that question kind of depends on the grower's goals because the cover crops seeded at different times uh, will yield different results. So of course, the earlier we plant in the the growing season, we have the most potential uh, for that cover crop to grow. But of course, that gets tough when we're uh, growing a cash crop as well. So in a corn or soybean rotation, uh, our windows are pretty small, but some different options that people are are trying and are making work pretty well, actually, would be, well, of course, interseeding into the corn, uh, maybe early in the growing season, uh, just to get more cover crop growth. Some other options might be to top dress some nitrogen late in the season. I've seen people broadcast uh, some cover crop there. And then I've also seen people aerial seed cover crop into both soybeans or corn and late in the growing season. So this would be right around when the leaves are dropping off the soybeans. And then also when uh, the leaves are starting to drop on the corn and and it allows more sunlight to reach the the ground. So those are some just some different options. Otherwise, uh, the folks that like to drill the cover crop, of course, you have to wait until the crop is out of the field, um, which does not leave a lot of growing season. But uh, depending on the year and depending on the maturity of the crop, for instance, if you have some really early soybeans, you might be able to harvest them off and get something drilled immediately after. Some folks are even having pretty good success with seeding uh, late in the fall after corn harvest, and they will put some sort of an overwintering cover crop species. Maybe it's triticale or winter wheat or cereal rye, and then that will actually continue growing the next spring season. Really, um, those are some good options for the corn and soybean rotation people. Uh, but the growers that have a small grain in the in the rotation, they have actually a, a larger window of opportunity to get cover crops established and maybe get 
some more benefit from the cover crop. Uh, they can harvest the small grain crop and then we always recommend immediately after you harvest that crop, if you're going to plant a cover crop, you really need to follow that combine uh, because any day that goes by that um, you haven't drilled, after that canopy is removed by harvesting, uh, a lot of that moisture is being evaporated out of the soil. So it's really a good idea to, to get in there and seed them cover crops as soon as possible after harvest just to use that moisture and uh, minimize any competition that the, any of the volunteer grain might be taking. Okay. With the different seeding methods that you talked about, drilling, aerial seeding, or um, slightly incorporating with tillage, are there certain cover crop species that tend to work better with each of those different methods? Yeah, that, that's a good question. So the things I've found and read about uh, seeding with like a spinner spreader or um, like a dry fertilizer spreader, the smaller and heavier seeds work better for them. And that makes sense when we're trying to spread the seed out to, we'll say 40 or 50 feet. If you have light seeds or seeds that can be influenced by the wind, it's tough to get that full spread pattern. And so if we don't have a, a good uniform spreading pattern, uh, the cover crop will be uh, just kind of sporadic throughout the field. It just won't be as even. So smaller, heavier seeds work best for that application. A lot of the grain seeds, uh, when people are aerial applying them late in the fall, uh, they seem to do actually pretty well, even though they're, I would say, moderate sized seed size, especially if you can get a rain. If you are uh, expecting rain in the forecast late in the fall, but you know it's going to be favorable weather for the next month or so. Uh, a lot of people have success with aerial seeding, um, like cereal rye or something, again, something that would overwinter. Definitely the larger the seed size, the more critical it is to have that seed to soil contact and uh, to make sure that it gets a good start. So like peas and those different larger seeds, uh, cow peas, forage peas, things like that, uh, they, they really should be in the soil and have good seed to soil contact, or they just don't germinate as well if they don't have good seed to soil contact and moisture. Okay. And then another thing, you know, when having a diverse cover crop mix, there's a lot of questions about, well, how, how do I seed that with all the different uh, seed sizes and the different seed weights? And that can be a little tricky with different seeding methods, but I would say that using a drill would be your best method just to maintain uniformity and uh, even seed singulation. Sure, some of those seeds might separate a little bit uh, as you travel throughout the field and they bounce around in the, in the seed box there, but um, you can minimize that risk by filling the, the box more frequently and not filling it as full. Um, because if we just, if we filled, you know, a couple thousand pounds of seeds into the seed hopper and, and just went out and seeded a hundred acres or so, uh, a lot of those smaller seeds will separate out. So it's better to fill more frequently and, uh, just to minimize separation. Okay. So a grower has the, the right timing, the right equipment, 
the right cover crop species? Is there anything else that a grower can do to set themselves up for success with creating and establishing adequate cover crop stands? Yeah, I, I think one important thing uh, the grower should consider is uh, to look at what herbicides have been applied to the field. Uh, they, they're going to need to check that for the current growing season and probably even the season prior, uh, just to make sure that there isn't any herbicide restrictions, uh, because that would be a real unfortunate if, if the producer purchased the seed and they, they took the time and they uh, seeded the cover crop. And then if they had herbicide injury and the cover crop just didn't grow, uh, that'd be a real waste of resources. And even uh, for the safety of um, if you're grazing livestock and things like that, it's, it's really important to check those labels and adhere to them. I know SDSU and a lot of other local universities, they have some really good uh, charts and resources to help understand the herbicide restriction uh, for different cover crop species and just to make sure that uh, you don't have that issue. Let's just say, for instance, a, a farmer has a concern about maybe a herbicide issue. One thing they could do uh, prior to seeding the cover crop uh, is maybe take a sample, a few samples of their soil, uh, just mix it up in a bucket and then plant some of the cover crop uh, seed in there and then just double check if it looks like it'll have an injury to that herbicide or not. So that would be one thing I'd, I would recommend. Uh, another thing would be is if the cover crop, the main cover crop goal is to produce a lot of biomass or uh, provide supplemental grazing or haying, uh, something like that. A soil test might be a good idea um, if, if the soil is completely out of nitrates. A lot of that biomass, just the cover crop won't grow as well. Not saying it won't grow, but it... Uh, they might be a little disappointed on maybe the production they could have had with the cover crop. So a lot of people I, I visit with, they kind of like to make sure there's 20 to 30 units of nitrogen in the soil. And that's primarily for something that's going to grow a lot of biomass. So like your Sudan sorghums and, and things like that. To set yourself up for success, you really want to seed those cover crops behind your small grain as soon as possible after harvest just to minimize any evaporation yep. of moisture from the soil surface because in South Dakota you know that it's it's really hot in those small grain fields it doesn't take long for that evaporation to take what little moisture could be in the soil away definitely um, if you're aerial applying into a late season crop it's a good idea if, if you see rain in the forecast get a hold of your pilot and see if they can't go out there and fly that cover crop on uh, okay. just to make sure it gets a good start. It's actually better for interseeding and, and even flying on cover crop if you, if the rows are in the north-south orientation. Uh, it allows uh, the sun to actually get down through the canopy a little bit better. In South Dakota, in areas of South Dakota, we have challenges with some saline soils. And uh, the folks who are familiar with them, they know that these wet years that we've had um, recently, these areas of salinity have actually grown quite a bit. 
Uh, so these are areas that there's just too much soluble salts and uh, moisture has brought the salts up to the root level and crops are suffering. Uh, the yields are, you know, pretty detrimental in those areas. So we want to utilize that moisture and help uh, draw those soluble salts lower in the soil profile. So some different cover crop species that work well in those areas are some of the grain crops uh, like barley or cereal rye, uh, winter wheat, and then uh, a broadleaf would be like uh, rapeseed or um, sugar beets. These uh, plants, they can tolerate some of that salinity and help draw that water down. And uh, basically to, to mitigate some of those issues is to utilize water and, and these crops do a good job of that. Another thing I, uh, or a different situation I would recommend, the grower has a lot of compaction issues. Some different things they could do is um, the cereal grain crops, you know, again, oats, uh, cereal rye, the wheats, things like that. They can alleviate a lot of the surface compaction uh, by by just breaking up those uh, hard compacted layers. And then um, even some of the brassicas do a pretty good job with their long taproot. Uh, a lot of the brassicas, you know, if you have compaction issues, they might stick that tuber up above the soil surface and it really doesn't look like they're doing a lot of um, compaction uh, remedying in that situation, but their long taproot is actually breaking through some of those hard pans. So that's helpful. And then one of my favorite cover crop species, if you have a lot of compaction, is uh, using like a sorghum or a Sudan grass, something like that. Uh, they grow their root system really fast. And then if you mow it or if you uh, graze it with, a, with livestock uh, during the vegetation stages of the plant, uh, that plant really tillers and branches out and it shoots even more roots down. So it'll nearly double the root mass, uh, which helps to alleviate compaction layers. Okay. Maybe I should have asked this earlier when we were talking about um, equipment and calibrating the equipment, but, um, you know, keeping in mind soil type and the cover crop species, how does a grower determine the proper seeding depth? Um, or does that does method make a difference in the seeding depth as well? Yeah, that, that's a good question as well. And, you know, in the dry soils or, or like a sandier type soil, something like that, I would err on the planting on the deeper side. Uh, if the plant is, or if the seed is just going to sit in dry soil, it's, it's not going to do anything, of course. Um, so if we could try to plant a little bit deeper and uh, get some moisture uh, enough to germinate, uh, that plant should be able to um, begin growing. There's a lot of question with the different seed sizes in a mix and uh, some drills and, and some machinery allows you to plant two different seed types at different depths and that would be in the perfect situation. You could, uh, you could have them both uh, set at two different levels but um, in most cases we don't have that or not everybody has that luxury. So usually there's a range for seed depths. So again, like I said, I would err on the deeper side and those uh, small seeds will usually follow the big seeds as they grow upward. 
Uh, so as those seedlings start growing and they, they sprout through the soil surface, the smaller seeds will actually keep following right through there. Okay, great. Well, I know uh, we're, we're running short on time for today. So uh, I'd like to welcome you back to our podcast for another episode uh, to talk about interseeding at another time. Uh, in the meantime, if growers want to find more information about cover crop seeding, where can they go to find more information? Yeah, the, uh, your viewers or your audience can um, look up the South Dakota Soil Health Coalition um, on the internet, and we have a lot of good information out there. Um, we have a event coming up that might be of interest to some of them. Uh, January 6th and 7th is our virtual conference, and we are putting a lot of work and effort into making it fun and interactive and make it so uh, the attendees can actually um, communicate with different attendees and, and even uh, the speakers. So that, that would be a resource I would recommend that they check out. And then also the local NRCS here in South Dakota, um, they have just excellent staff who are more than willing to, to help go through making cover crop mixes, as well as um, the employees with the soil, South Dakota Soil Health Coalition. So yeah, we, we have a really good team of people in South Dakota that are uh, very eager to help producers get on the right track. Sounds great. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today, Austin. For more information about all things cover crops, visit us online at covercropstrategies.com.